Heavenly Father, we can't even comprehend the despair, anguish, fear and sorrow that we've witnessed this week. Lord, when we look into a hopeless situation, we are compelled to get on our knees and look up to a God of hope, to a God who comforts those who mourn, to a God who will reach out in despair and destruction. Lord, we ask you to be with us this week. Be glorified. Bring help. Bring hope. Bring love. Restore life, Lord. In your son's name, amen. Good morning. It's great to be back. I've been away for a while, studying, and now I'm back. So it's great to be back, and it's great to be back on a Sunday morning. And, man, is it warm. Now, I hate the sun, I hate the hot weather, I have air fever, and for a strapping lad, that's like the most wimpish thing to have ever to be scared of flowers and grass when you're six foot I like literally it's just awful but here we are and what a morning to, to, to praise the Lord as well what you might not realise for a big strapping lad I really love Shakespeare someone laugh then and me and Anwin last night were looking through his diaries to get to some Shakespeare to get to, we've got one next week, we've got one in a couple of weeks, um, to get out there and do that. And one of my favourites is Romeo and Juliet. I mean, who doesn't like a love story that ends in murder and death? Right? <laughs> and the thing that's compelling about Romeo and Juliet is that you have two families. You have the Capulets and the Montagues who are at war with each other. Like a real, what a real enmity, a real dislike. Until one of the Capulets, one of the Montagues, fall in love, Romeo and Juliet. And these two families were at war, and in real danger of becoming at peace through a marriage. And both families try to destroy this love affair of what would be a marriage. Because ultimately, it would mean bringing peace between two families. And today we're going to find out how another two warring families was brought together in peace through a different marriage. If you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to read from Ephesians. And it's going to be a nice chunk of a reading this morning. I'm going from Ephesians 2.11. Are we good to go? Okay, let's do this. I'm reading out of New King James as well. The only Bible apparently. <clears throat> this is what Paul writes. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised 
by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, both, who has made both one and broken down in the middle of the wall of division between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself a new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, and thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached, Peace, you who were far off, and to those who were near. For through him we have access by the one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Having been, beat up, been built up on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the habitation of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men and is now revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow partakers of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I have become a minister according to the gift of grace given to me by effective workings of power. Father, bless this word to us this morning. Enrich us, make us alive with your word. For Lord, we come humbly to your living word that brings life, hope, restoration. So Lord, we hand over the service to you and we hope that our Worship this morning is a sweet fragrance to you. Amen. Paul's talking here of a mystery. He's talking of a mystery <clears throat> between two families at war. We have the Jew and we have what's called what the Bible calls the Gentile, which is the non-believer. That's how you could basically put it. The Jew and the non-believer. If you want a Jew, to kind of put you together as a Gentile. And Paul says that peace and unity is going to be restored through a person between these two families at war. We see that in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. He has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of division. Paul's saying that there's a, someone who was came who's brought and united these two families together. But this is going to happen through a marriage, from a marriage of one people united to God, to Jesus himself. It's Jesus 
God who unites two warring families and brings them together. And this was a deep mystery for Paul and for the prophets and for the people of the time. The coming together of the Jew and the non-believer in one family, what a deep mystery. And it was called a mystery. We see in chapter 1 verse 9, having been made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he proposed in him himself. That this mystery has been long ago set and Christ reveals it now. And that mystery would be to fulfill a promise that was made to Abraham. If we flick to Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's been called out of his nation to go live in another nation, to be a foreigner in another nation. And God says, Get out of your country from your kindred. This is the beginning. And from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. It promises Abraham then that he's going to have a land. It's going to be the father of a great nation, of a one people. And that through that nation, other people will be blessed. The story goes on and Moses gets the commandments and the Jewish nation is born and given structure. But we still have this promise in the background to Abraham that somehow all the nations are going to come together as one. And no one knew how this was going to happen. How is the Jewish nation and non-believers going to come together? How is the promise to Abraham going to be fulfilled? In Romans, Paul calls Abraham the heir of the world. The heir of the world. So the whole world is going to come. You're going to have that. But how would this be done? And why was it such a great mystery? Well, there are two very different people in the Jews and the Gentiles. They were at the polar opposites of life. And no human logical reason could literally see these two peoples coming together. You wouldn't have been able to put them together. You'd have scratched it and thought, how are these two people going to come together? You see, because on one side you had the Jews, the chosen people of God, these are the people that God picked out through Abraham and his descendants by blood are Jews, God's chosen people. And God gave them some laws. He gave them ritual laws so they could sacrifice things to cleanse themselves of sin. He gave them cultic laws to keep them pure. What you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, what you should wear, how you should conduct worship how you should live. Like, if you met a Jew, you knew you met a Jew. 
his own life were geared around what God had given him and chosen him. It was that distinct. And all this was supported by the commandments, by them ten laws that were given to Moses. This upheld the Jewish nation. I mean, you could not get in. That was so boxed off like you knew who they were the laws the culture where they lived how they lived it summed them up then you have the gentiles the non-believers and listen to how paul describes their situation he says that you were uncircumcised you were called that that was a slanderous calling by the jews at that time uncircumcised it would a dig like you were called that you were without Christ you were aliens in the commonwealth you're actually aliens in this land of God you're strangers without the laws of the promise you're without the promise that were given to Abraham you've got no hope Literally, without God, you've got no hope. They were cut off from this promise. And they practiced worshipping of more than one God. Israel, one God. They had many gods. The, most of them practiced the worship of the dead ancestors. That's how the, the, the genealogy kept going. Because one day you were going to be a god when you died. It was big to practice that. Your dead ancestors, it was massive. The land you buried on, your land with your identity, you buried your dead within your land and you burnt an altar every day and the fire couldn't go out. If the fire went out, your ancestors had, dis had, had gone and left your land. Like practicing worship dead people and the land with their identity, their religion too shaped how they acted it shaped what they looked like it shaped how they dressed it shaped what they are it shaped their sexual practices they would commonly have intercourse so god would gods the gods would bless the fertility in the land and give crops like that seems crazy to us now but when it's wrapped in your religion, when it's wrapped in what you do, and that gives you identity, that's what you're going to do. Uh, these were at the opposites. They had idol worship. They had a class system. They had citizens and they had slaves. They had males and females. And none of this read for much good reading. And wealth and power and status were the drink of the day. Their identity too was wrapped in their religion. Man, how is that gonna get how are we gonna get one people out of that? Like this is just the total opposites. How was God gonna break down this wall of opposing people? A contemporary of Paul. In his day, Philo, a Jewish commentator, said, it's not by the blood that this will be done, but it be by those that keep the law and adhere 
to what is good in God's eyes. See, he didn't even think that it would actually through blood. He said, anybody can become one of us. Anybody can unite with us. But they must do what's right in God's eyes. They must keep the law. They must keep the commandments. The Gentiles had no clue how this was going to happen. The Jews thought they would have to become one of us. They'd have to become assimilated. They would have to adhere to what we adhere to. But it's through the law. It's the use of the law that God does make one people. It's not now the Gentiles are after a deer to that, but it's rather that that law gets abolished. That law gets taken away. We see that in Matthew. He says, I've got to come to fulfill the law. Hebrews 8.13 says, is the end of the law. Romans 20.14 says, it does. Jesus fulfills the law. In Ephesians 2.16 it says, and that it might reconcile both to him through the body of the cross by putting it to death. See, all them laws that the Jewish people had to keep, to keep them distinct, to keep them in the right relationship with God, to keep them living and working and doing right, the things that the elder, Jesus would come, fulfill all of those, so they didn't have to take place no more. What the Jews had done for 1,500 years would end. They're finished. And all them things that marked them out as who they were would happen no longer. There'd be no more ritual sacrifices. It wouldn't matter what you were. It wouldn't matter what you are. What would matter is faith in Jesus Christ. The law would get taken out of the equation. The Jews would have to stop doing what they were doing. The Gentiles would have to stop what they were doing. You can no longer carry on like that. There's not many gods to pray to. You no longer have sex to get a next crop. You no longer get drunk. You no longer carry on the way you were doing. I'm making a new person in me. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. Law's done, you're within me. Verse 19 says, now you're no longer strangers, but you're now your citizens. We are dwelling for the place of God. Man, that is some verse, that, isn't it? That it says, when I create you a new person, you are the dwelling place of God. Literally, if we don't get a hold of that, we're now fellow heirs. We, we are, we've got the same promise that we're in Abraham. The promise of salvation. See, because how does Jesus fulfill these laws? How does he abolish them? It goes to the cross. Like he's the final law. It gets nailed to the cross. That is the fulfillment. Bottom line is, if you do not believe Jesus Christ came, died and rose again, to fulfill the law and clear your debt of sin to put you back in a proper relationship with God you are not saved bottom line 
You believe that, you're saved. The Bible tells us that. Let me tell you how great this mystery was. This is how great it was. 3.10 To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do I tell you what that means? Even the angels in heaven did not know this was going to happen. The mystery went so far that even the angels in heaven were like, you've got two people at the opposite ends here. Are we going to bring them into one? And it says through the church, that's what we are, this one new people, the church that's born, that's how I'm going to bring people together. That's how I'm going to show unity. That's how believers will come together and show that the power of Christ's blood has done what he said it was going to do. Clear sin and unite people in love. This were a mystery in heaven. Right, now we've got introduction out of way. Let's get on with preach. I just need to set that up to make you understand that we've got these two opposing people. But sometimes we can look back on that like it means nothing. Like, and? Just get over it, don't you? I need to take a step back here. I want you to think what it must have been like being a Jew at that time. My identity has been stripped away. Who I am. My culture has been stripped away. What we are. As laws have been disbanded. <coughs> what we stood for. Our everyday practices meant nothing no more. What we ate didn't count. What we wore meant nothing. Our very essence of who we are has been taken away. Can you imagine that overnight? The things that your people have done for 1500 years from what made you, you, gone. Imagine the struggles and the chaos with inside yourself, with inside a community to abandon what it had done. This isn't to make that the joy and the love that we have in Christ. Everything that makes you, you, you has gone. The very things that give you identity. Who are you? I'm a Jew who follows the law. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. Gone. Who are you? Who are you? Same for the Gentile. We think that the Gentiles weren't religious, but they were. Their very existence, their whole community, their whole life surrounded religion. Gone. You are not no longer who you were. 
how you, yeah, how you worshipped. Gone. There's no longer slaves, but only brothers. Women now get citizenship. Like, we can think that now like that's nothing, but I'm telling you now, in its day, that would have been just like... It would have been like Brexit. It would have been like, what's this going on? It makes you think what cultural identities we have wrapped in our faith. How we eat, how we dress, how we worship. is wrapped up in our faith, is it not? We carry on and we do what we do because of our faith. But how much is this just cultural? Like if I had to strip you of your identity now and I took away for those, whatever country you're from, I took away that whatever country you're from, you're no longer represented by your country. Now I am a proud Englishman for a couple of facts. I like it rains a lot and cup of tea solves everything. Besides that, I'm done. But what if that stripped away from me? I'm no longer a son or a brother in my family's hierarchy. I'm no longer going to inherit to be the priest of my family to worship other gods. But now that's gone. What if I had to strip away how I dressed? And how much is our cultural identity a stumbling block for other people coming to faith? You see, the Christian faith is expressed differently across different nations across the world. Like it looks differently. If you think this is how church looks across the world right now it morning, you're wrong. I'm telling you now this is not how it looks. But this is how it looks to us. This is how our culture's got it. This is how it is. And I'm alright with that. But we've got to see what cultural boundaries could be stopping, could be a stumbling block, could be an enmity towards other people coming to faith. Because it's not who or what we do and look like that makes us a Christian. It's who and what he looks like. It's what he has done. Christ, that makes us a Christian, that believes in him. We don't have to travel outside of Bradford to know that faith looks differently. We could go to a brethren church where every woman wears a hat. And that's how they worship and practice. We don't do that. I've had the pleasure of going to Uganda a couple of times. Trust me, this is not how church looks over there. Very, very different. I've got a friend, a dear friend, who's from Hong Kong. She says 60% of the teachers over there are female. More matriarch kind of society and a lot, more, a lot different to what we look like.
I've got a friend who, refu who refuses to eat meat because they don't think it's part of God's plan. That's how they express their faith. I know people or churches where they would say, 45 minute preacher, you want on your, if you know. Like we sing for an hour and a half. That's how their culture do it. I know some people say, oh, Sunbridge Road, they preach all day and there's no spirit there. Really? Can I tell you what spirit looks like? People try to live holy, giving their life self-sacrifice like Christ, loving the word and loving the Lord. Where the spirit is, that is. And in a more spirit-filled church than this, I'll tell you that now. But I accept and I understand there might be churches that might worship for hours and hours. That might be how they commune to God. That might be how they get to God. And do you know what? Culturally, that's fine. Don't bother me. Because I have unity and peace within Jesus. We must not let and we must not restore cultural divides that Christ broke down in peace and unity. I'm going to get rid of this now. Is it not yet? Sorry about that. Is there any elders here? Put your hand in your pocket, will you? It's been like this for about two years. We must not restore cultural divides. But we must rather embrace the patchwork of God's kingdom in all its variety, colours, smells and flavours. Because do you know what we do when we bring in cultural divides? We create first, second, third and fourth class Christians. They don't do it like we do it. They don't celebrate like we celebrate. And I'll tell you why I know this for a fact. Because I've done it. I've done it. I've gone to a church and went, their worship were rubbish. They only mentioned Jesus once. Like, well, that's my place. To comment how somebody else culturally worships God, to look down on them and make them a second-class citizen. The divide that Jesus broke means that we break this and we embrace it. What does that mean for people of other cultures that come to this church? Let me tell you what it means. We want to welcome you with open arms. We want to love you. We want to celebrate your difference. But get, this is how we do it. And that's just how we do it. And we love the way we're doing it. But because you do it differently, I want to enjoy, I want to embrace, and I want to celebrate. I don't want to look down on, and you know what? I don't want you to look down on me for the way that I do it. Because no longer 
is going to be cultural divides, but a unity with many flavours. Because if God, if Jesus can unite the two most people at the enemy at the end of the spectrum, if he had to go to the cross to die for that, let's not dare put them back in place. The beauty and the strength of the church is that we're made up of different people and it looks differently. The mystery and the beauty of the mystery is that the in enough will in the world, enough knowledge and wisdom to get all you lot sat together on a Sunday morning. But Christ did. Christ got you there. Christ sits us here. That's the mystery and the beauty of God. As cultural differences should be esteemed and celebrated. Not pulled apart. How could you, in Bradford, seriously? There's over, over 70 different languages spoke here. I love it, mate. I love it. Revelations 19.7 and 9 says that we are prepared and being prepared as a bride for Christ. The church is his bride. How is one people going to come together in marriage? We're going to marry the church in all the splendour, in all those cultural differences, in all those different ways that we worship, in all those different expressions, its flavours, the smells, all of that is going to be the bride of Christ. Right, don't you think... Christ's love is big enough to accept it, all that. Coming to end now. And it's important for me to, to see in this passage what Paul is saying. That I don't know if anybody in here was a Jew previously. But if you want, Paul says, you lot, and me included, had no hope. Not one bit of hope in this world. But Christ came and died to give you that hope. So you are now in his family. Whilst you were doing what you were doing, he poured out his love. So let's not put a barrier up to exclude those who worship differently, live differently, look differently. Who are we to exclude them? We should be celebrated. This is our strength. Trust me, church. This is our strength. That we look, sound, feel, smell, love differently. I've got a really good friend at college. And we had to do two studies. We had to do some studies. And me and this person, I was studying uh, uh, sacrificial living, suffering. And I was studying creation. And this is what they said to me. Man, this is a take on. This is the golden nugget of the day. They said, Bruce, do you know what's been bothering me? They says, when I, when I get to the part where it says, when God says in Genesis, let's make them in our image. Let's make them in our image. 
She says, because every time I look at that and I read that, I've always been taught we've been made in the image according to God's characteristics. Like, the way that God is, that God can be loving and kind. That we have some sort of characteristic of God. And she goes, that's not true though. Because in that passage, it never talks about God's characteristics. Like, we don't know what God's characteristics are. She goes, but this is what it means. And she studied it in Hebrew. She studied it. And she looked at it. She goes, this is what it means to be created in the image of God. She says, Bruce, it's not that when you stand alone, you are the image of God. Or that when I stand, I'm the image of God. But rather, when we stand together in a loving relationship in Christ, in communion, reflecting what's happening in the Godhead of self-giving love, only when we stood together are we the image of God. Seriously. It's not that you're the image, or you're the image, or you're the image, or you're the image. But when God looks down on what's happening this morning of a people that's fellowshipping, praising Jesus' name, is coming together, is offering love, is being self-sacrificial, only then are you the image of God. The way that you intended to be. Is that not a beautiful picture of what unity is and what the image of God is? Let's go from here this morning, not building up any walls that our Christ abolished and knocked down. Let's not have no enmity between other cultures, between other differences. But rather let's embrace, let's love each other. Let us be the image of God. James is going to sing and then we're going to do the grace afterwards. And we're not going to do that grace where we go like literally look at each other. You know, smile. Let's remember that we are the image of the God this morning. Heavenly Father, pray and bless us for the rest of the day. Lord, we thank you for what you did in Christ in bringing all people into unity as your adopted sons. Lord, we cannot wait for that marriage. We cannot wait. Lord, bless the rest of our day. Let us reflect who you are. Amen.